On this podcast, we talk about violent crime that's not suitable for young listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Reform Podcast. I'm your host, Kimberly Dudick, and I'm here with my co-host, Angela Jacobs. We're talking with you about the Salem witch trials this season. We are also exploring some of the laws in place at that time. As this is the Reform Podcast, we're also going to be talking about some of the witch trials that are going on today and maybe how we can stop some of that. The trials in Salem occurred from June 1692 to May 1693. When we last left you, two young girls, Betty and Abigail, identified three women as causing them to have fits, and they were diagnosed with being bewitched. The first woman is Tituba, whose last name we don't know. At least I haven't been able to find it, probably because those recording history didn't think it was important enough to record her name as she was an enslaved woman. Nothing like whitewashing history. Next is Sarah Osborne, and last is Sarah Good. We talked about them last time. Pastor Paris, who is Betty's father and Abigail's uncle, had two magistrates, Jonathan Corwin and John Hawthorne, come to Salem Village to conduct the public inquiry and investigate what occurred and the allegations made. So the public inquiry starts. On March 1st, Tituba, Sarah Good, and Sarah Osborne were arrested and examined. I think that just means questioned. I don't believe they were physically examined, but I'm not quite certain. I think it was just questioning. Initially, Tichuba staunchly proclaimed her innocence. Remember, she even tried to help the girls by baking the witch cake to try and identify who was behind the supernatural happenings with the girls. And she was also enslaved, so she was really extremely vulnerable. She was a vulnerable individual without rights and means to protect herself. So as the inquiry goes on, she's questioned repeatedly, and she's also possibly beaten by Pastor Paris. I found one article that said that she was beaten, and after her beating, that is when she decided to confess to having engaged in witchcraft. She keyed in exactly on what people at that time thought was a witch, and she told them she made a deal with the devil after being visited by him. She provided days of testimony to the magistrates. She said that she had been visited by a tall, dark man from Boston who had her sign, The Devil's Book. Again, it's The Devil's Book, not The Devil's Website, because we are in 1692. Just asking if it's Ben Affleck. (laughs) Tall and dark. Yeah, the description is tall and dark. Could be Ben Affleck. Goodwill hunting. I mean, they were from Boston. I don't think there's a devil in that show that I recall, but it has been a while. But a 12 dark man from Boston reminds me of Ben Affleck in Goodwill Hunting. Okay, so Ben Affleck comes to her door. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we're going with that. We'll go with that. And has her sign the devil's book. So in the statements that she made, she provided like... Is it like a guest book? Like you oh, sign it at the wedding? I think so. Because she said that um, she made statements that directly implicated Sarah Osborne and Sarah Good, right? She said that she saw their names in the book that she was able to read, along with seven other names uh, that she recognized but couldn't read. No, that's not right. She saw seven other names but couldn't read them because I think she's illiterate. But somehow she was magically able to read Sarah Good and Sarah Osborne's names and implicate them. She also said that she had encounters with Satan's familiars. 
Don't really know what those encounters were and what his familiars are, but those are the animals that witches supposedly cavort with. Maybe they're having tea. Tichuba's confession also had the power of stopping all voice of reason in Salem. Anyone who is speaking reason at this time, if we hear them, which I haven't really read much about that. With her confession, it stifled any opposition to the idea that the devil had infiltrated Salem. That was according to an article called The History of the Salem Witches by Rebecca Beatrice Brooks and the historyofmassachusetts.org website from August 18, 2011. Now we have Tichuba. She's confessed. Now, when Sarah Osborne was questioned, she proclaimed her innocence. She's the one who married the indentured servant from Ireland after he paid off his indenture. And she kept the farm. And now when Sarah Good was questioned, she also claimed she was innocent, but she was a little bit sneakier. Even though she said she was innocent, she probably thought if she gave up somebody else's name that they'd go easier on her. So to take the heat off of her, she accused Sarah Osborne, all the while protesting that her, that she, Sarah Good, was innocent. So again, Sarah Osborne gets thrown under the bus. Or the horse carriage, as it may be. Or the horse's hooves. She gets thrown under. So at this point, we have the two magistrates, Jonathan Corwin and John Hawthorne. They have a confession from one of the accused. And along with this confession, they are also told that there's more witches present in the community because Tichuba had said she saw seven other names besides the Sarahs. At this point, everybody is getting concerned that they've been infiltrated by witches and they're trying to steal their Puritan souls. So people in the community are becoming increasingly concerned and their panic is growing. Just like a cancer, it spreads. And while it started with two girls, now more young girls and young women and girls begin to experience fits like Betty and Abigail did. So now going back to the beginning, do you remember we talked about Anne Putnam Jr.? She was part of that large Putnam family and she was a daredevil juvenile delinquent who was engaging in fortune telling. Now she joins her two friends, Betty and Abigail. But they're not doing fortune telling now. Now she's supposedly starting to experience fits also. But she doesn't just do it alone, mind you. So she experiences fits, but it's a family affair because her mother, Ann Putnam Sr., her cousin, her name was Mary Wolcott, and the Putnam servant, her name was Mercy Lewis. They also started experiencing fits. And these women... They didn't blame Tichuba and Sarah Good and Sarah Osborne. They widened the circle of blame. They started a real witch hunt. And if you're going to target people, what do you do? You target people you don't like. So it was no longer just those that would be considered outsiders or living outside the norms of society. They now started accusing people who were considered these upstanding members of the community, engaged in various activities and not bucking the societal rules like the other, some of the other women. The first one considered an upstanding member of society, and that's how she was described, was Rebecca Nurse. And she was not a nurse. That was just her name. She was, she was a... Uh, the, Otherwise, she'd be Nurse Rebecca. She would be Nurse Rebecca, but no, she's Rebecca Nurse. I think, though, if she was a nurse, it'd be Nurse Rebecca Nurse. And that's just cruel. She could be Dr. Rebecca Nurse, but since she's a woman, I mean, that probably wouldn't happen at that time. So anyway, she's a woman... She's called a mature woman of some prominence. What is a mature woman of some prominence? Well, what do you think it is? I was thinking that, you know, they don't live that long back then. So maybe it was just somebody a little bit older. Like who is 40? That's what I was thinking. 
She probably <laughs> had her own money. <laughs> yes, that is exactly what I was thinking. So I looked up a little bit more about her because I wanted to see if like mature woman meant, you know, like 43 or something. No, no, no. So according to, I've been looking at um, the online Britannica entry on the Salem witch trials. That's where I've gotten a lot of this information. It turns out that she was actually a 71-year-old woman, a grandmother, and the wife of a local artisan. So she wasn't 43. She was 71. I can't believe she lived that long. There wasn't really a lot of people who did, especially in the colonies. No, and that would be a mature woman of some prominence. Well, you'd hope she'd be mature. She could be immature. Well, here I am thinking I'm a mature woman of prominence. Well, you have a few. Like I'm not 71. I don't have, well, I do have a grandkid. Well, I guess I and my husband built houses. Count. You, you would be considered, I don't know if it'd be mature. Well, uh, what's the alternative, immature? You're an immature woman of some prominence. Right. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> so I've been looking at this as an article on the, the witchcraft trial of Rebecca Nurse. And this is also on the history of Massachusetts.org. It's by Rebecca Beatrice Brooks from November 5th of 2012. She does a lot of these good articles that really got into the details of the Salem witch trials. So Rebecca Nurse, our 71-year-old, our matron, I bet called her matronly. I don't know if she's matronly, but she was mature. That's a really an assumption, Kim. I know, right? She could have been spindly. I don't know. <laughs> so she was arrested on March 24th, 1692. And when it happened, it kind of surprised everyone because, like I said, she wasn't like an outsider. She wasn't living on the fringe of society. And when you look at the complicated web, though, of who accused her, it starts to be pretty obvious that there was not just some unbiased accusation with no history. So I told you the people that accused her, they were the Ann Putnam Jr. and Putnam Sr. and then kind of a lineup of their family. It turned out that the Putnams had a long-standing feud of some sort with the nurse family and that by all accounts, it dealt with some property and property line disputes. Yeah. You know the, the saying that good fences make good neighbors? Well, in this case, it looks like bad fences make enemies who accuse you of witchcraft. Can I use that in a city council meeting? Please, please do. Oh. <laughs> so it appears that all of the people who accused Rebecca Nurse of witchcraft were somehow connected to the Putnam family, either friends or part of it. And I told you some of them. Um, there was Abigail Williams. So she was the fortune-telling girl. Uh, there's... Ann Putnam Jr., her mother, Ann Putnam Sr., but then we start getting some men involved. Edward Putnam, Thomas Putnam, and we'll talk more about him later. He's kind of a ringleader of some of this. Henry Kenny, Mary Wolcott, and Elizabeth Hubbard. So there's all these people lining up against Rebecca Nurse, and it I think a lot of it looks like goes back to a property dispute that may have involved a large section of the community. Just think about how property disputes go now. We end up in court, luckily. We don't see this. So this was in March of 1692. That same month, there were three more women who were accused and arrested. So they weren't just accused, but they were actually arrested and put in jail. Once you're accused, if they found you, they instantly arrested you. And they were Martha Corey, Dorothy Good, and Rachel Clinton. During this time, this kind of goes back to what you were saying uh, a while ago, that there's this group of young girls accusing people of witchcraft and they became known as the Afflicted Girls. Kind of sounds like a gang. The Afflicted Girls. And we already know some of them. We have Betty Paris, her cousin, Abigail Williams. And now we have Ann Putnam Jr., 
And this grew to include Mary Wolcott and Mercy Lewis, there, the Putnam servant. Shortly after this, the, be the bewitching spread. It's nice to think that maybe this started with something that was genuine, but the way this spreads is like a social contagion, and it doesn't seem like it has real scientific background. So then we have Elizabeth Hubbard, Susanna Sheldon, Mary Warren, and Elizabeth Booth all claiming to have started experiencing those same symptoms others experienced with their fits. And then I found one source that said they actually experienced a few more things. They experienced fever, which actually could be a cause of something, but then also hiding under their furniture. Have you ever heard of anything that makes you hide under their, your furniture? Maybe a psychological thing? <laughs> Maybe not wanting to see people? No, not hiding under my furniture. Definitely. I, that just sounded strange to me. Anxiety. So, anxiety. anxiety. Maybe because you're lying about being bewitched, you're causing yeah. anxiety, so you're not going to hide into your furniture. Mm -hmm. Pinch yourself and claim somebody else is doing it. Yeah, or it's, it's it's a good way to prove that you are bewitched, right? Yeah, no, but I mean, like, that, it's a good way to, you know, it's a good way to support your claim that you're bewitched. Well, it is, and it doesn't, like, it's nothing you have to prove. No, I'm just hiding under my couch. <laughs> so I have to prove nothing. <laughs> <laughs> just cleaning under there just right. cleaning under there just some dust balls <laughs> okay so now we have this full club of the afflicted girls and they were uh, there was nine of them so we have elizabeth booth elizabeth hubbard mercy lewis betty paris Ann putnam jr Susanna sheldon abigail williams mary wilcott and mary warren so those are who we have as our bewitched people so we have, you know, these people, we have seven people accused so far in one month. And then in April of 1692, the hysteria is just growing. And we have more people accused, many of them women, but we also have some men who are starting to be accused. And there's these names, we have over 200 people who are accused. So I'm not going to keep reading you the names or it could really go on forever. We might get into some of the individual cases in a bit. At this point, we had 20, well, I think we had 21 more people accused. And there are now a grand total of 28 people. The accused list just keeps growing. The next month in May, the number of the cases continues to grow. And the governor of Massachusetts, it was Governor William Phipps, decided he should finally do something about this. He sets up a special kind of court. Tell me if you've ever heard about this kind of court. He sets up a special kind of court in English law because lawyer and whatever it is. Yes. Yeah. Which I thought was Latin, but it turns out it's French. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know how to pronounce it. The lawyer and lawyer and terminer. It's kind of like Terminator. That's what. That's I what I thought too. I'm like, wow, you're going to get a fair trial in that court. Seriously. Yeah. So he sets up a special kind of court in English law because that's the law that governed, and it's supposed mm -hmm. to hear cases that are extraordinary and serious in nature. Mm -hmm. And I guess the governor gets to decide when that mm -hmm. is, because he's the one who establishes this court. I'm sure that wasn't political at all. So mm -hmm. he sets up the court of Oyer and Terminer, Terminer, which is French, and means something like hear and determine. So he's yeah. going, they're going to hear and determine cases. Have you come across that phrase before? No, I haven't, but only in researching this. And I'm like, well, what is that? I know. And the court had eight judges. 
So it sounds kind of like it's a... An umbilical cord. Almost sounds, sounds like an like umbilical cord. Because yeah, I, I don't think they were eight individual courts. So I think it's a court with eight judges, like an appellate court, a Supreme mm -hmm. Court. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so they have eight judges, and you'll recognize some of these names. We have William Stoughton. I think that's how you say his name. He, he was the chief magistrate, so he would have been like the chief justice. You're right. This is like an appellate court. Then we have Bartholomew Gedney, John Hawthorne, who, if you remember, he's one of those initial ones who's doing the, he's investigating his case, and now he's going to preside over it. I'm sure he's unbiased. <laughs> that wouldn't happen today. Then we have John Richards and Nathaniel Saltonstall, Samuel Sewall, and Peter Sargent, and Wait Still Winthrop. In June, Nathaniel Saltonstall resigned, and then he was replaced by Jonathan Corwin. You might recognize that name. He was one of the other magistrates, again, investigating and now presiding over the court. So he and his buddy, John Hawthorne, they are creating a real career out of this in Salem. In May, that same month that this court was set up, the number of the accused continues to climb. Over 30 more people, including men, were being accused of witchcraft. And a couple of them, two men, evaded arrest. So they were accused but not arrested. But these other people, over 30 people, were arrested. So they're arresting all these people, putting them in jail. And I'm curious. I don't know, but I don't know what kind of jail they had. It must have been a larger jail. They just keep populating it with people. All right. I told you I'm not going to read you the names of everyone. But we, I, I will read you the names of everyone who was killed in this because they deserve to have their names and their stories told and at least acknowledged because they were basically subject to a real witch hunt and then killed. All right, so let's talk a little about who is accusing people. I read you the name of the girls, right? What do you think about that? We have nine girls who seem to be the ones making main accusations. Do you think that they've just like cooked this up on their own? What do you think? Oh, I mean, it's definitely family and you know, you want to, you want to, you want to have an in with your family and you want to be good with your family. And so you're going to say whatever your family wants you to say, truthfully at that age. And, and girls that age are so impressionable and I'm not saying that in a negative way, but they are. So, you know, it's, I've seen, I've seen my teens do it with their own selves, right? Yeah. Seriously, and it wasn't just girls. I mean, we even have the mother of one of them, Ann Putnam Sr., joined her little Ann Putnam Jr., and she's also making these accusations. So they would think that it's the, the right thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so hard to know when you're a teenager what the right thing and wrong thing is to do, right? You have this, um, you have this loyalty towards your family. And you know, and parents encourage that. And some parents ne very negatively and very, um, in a toxic way, encourage that. Well, I think we're seeing a lot of that now, right? I was just reading a, uh, I read something this week that somebody I on, posted on social media about how their child was, um, pushed up against the wall and called names like derogatory names that we're hearing a lot of racial and ethnic slurs right now. And it was basically that. And these are, you know, impressionable children who are probably learning this from their parents, that this is how you behave. Of course they do. That is, that is how, well, that is how kids learn primarily, you know, especially up until about the age of high school when they start hanging out with friends more and, you know, learning more. And, and again, and it depends on the friends they hang out. 
Yeah. And kids are impressionable. Their their minds are, I hate to say it, they're a little bit mushy till they get about to be 24, 25. They're very impressionable. Right. They just, they copy their parents. And it's also, you know, you said that up until about 24 or so, I've seen the argument that uh, we have the people are supposed to enlist or for the military when they're 18 and, and go on that role, but then they can't drink until they're 21. And yeah. the, the thought for some of that is because those kids at 18 still aren't mature enough to rebel against what they're being told to do in the military. And they're very pliable still at that time. Not that the military is bad or good. It's just one of the things that people, they're very pliable as young soldiers. So some historians, according to Rebecca Brooks' History of the Salem Witch Trials article, they believe that the parents of these nine girls, especially the father of Anne Putnam, Thomas Putnam, and the father of Betty Paris, the Reverend Paris that we talked about last time, that they were supposed to be that they were thought to be encouraging these girls and egging them on to make accusations against certain people or specific types of people that they didn't like. They're using these nine young girls as basically weapons of revenge. You know, they pick out who they don't like, or they even just slightly encourage the girls. The girls are getting positive feedback. Mm-hmm. And then before you know it, these people are targeted like Rebecca Nurse. I mean, honestly, if you use your child to target someone and make mm-hmm. accusations that ends up having them put in jail, that's a crime now. So if you're keeping count, we now have with all of these people about 60 people who have been accused of witchcraft so far. We have 60 people. We have one confession from the enslaved woman who initially denied everything. But then after being badgered and beaten by Pastor Paris, she suddenly said, yes, I signed the devil's book. Did all these things. And then we have <laughs> devil's guest book. I just I want to picture it. I feel like it's like got to be red velvet and smell like sulfur when you open it up. I picture it with like a nice glossy gold pen. With, like oh, no, a with a feather. A feather. A feather. feather. With a feather. I like that. Yes. That's how they signed the devil's book. Maybe they signed it in blood. I wonder if they used ink or blood. They didn't have regular pens at the time. Well, I mean, blood would be a little excessive. I don't know. Maybe just like charcoal with water. Well, they're not creating a scale. Not that I've ever created a devil's book or anything. Just so, just to get that out there. Yeah, just, just, just my fantasy devil's book. <laughs> right. Okay, so we have those nine girls who are the main accusers, and then we have Pastor Paris pulling strings and uh, Thomas Putnam pulling strings. We'll dig into them next time. So thank you, everyone, for joining us. If you want to reach us, shoot us an email at thereformpod at gmail.com. And we want to fully thank and recognize our sources and their work. A full list and links is available on our website, it will be available on the reformpodcast.com. As I said, we relied heavily upon the Britannica entry online on the Salem Witch Trials. So thank you for listening to the Reform Podcast. Before you go, if you want to support the work we're doing, if you want to hear more, it really matters if you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you use. The Reform mm-hmm. Podcast is researched and produced by me Kimberly Dudick you can follow the reform podcast and stay up to date on Instagram at the reform podcast on Facebook at the reform podcast and on Twitter at the reform pod our theme song is be mine by the Missoula Montana musician Tom Catmull 
We're making this show on and around the traditional lands of the Salish, Ponderay, Kootenai, Shoshone, Blackfeet, Chinook, and Multnomah peoples, and many other Native tribes. With deep respect, we acknowledge the Indigenous people of the West, throughout the U.S., throughout the world. Wherever you are, thank you for listening. So until next time, keep searching for justice. Bye. Bye, witches. Darling, when the door locked in my little finger Walked hand in hand And that was just the sound of a word or a sticker My thumb against some wood or something I, I got nothing planned And when the room is quiet It's either one of two religions Joyful noise or a wide open space The letter pulls you short from a crowded room With your pocketbook in your heart and your mind out of place be mine be mine be mine be Is hearing lovers kiss in darkened taverns while mining your home. But when your ears fill twice with chance encounters a charming third, and you'll someday find it stained to your bones. It is particular about company, and it sparks the flame of jealousy in those you hold close. And it has no fear of poverty, the bottle or solace. You see, you are what. It needs most be mine, be mine.